Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Uh, Dr. Tenen and the leadership of this great institution, the faculty, staff, and students, I bring you greetings from my family and from your brothers and sisters in Liberia in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. I want to thank my dear sister, uh, Sister Jessica uh, Lagron, for the invitation to be here this morning and to share with you the Word of God. It is actually a deep honor for me, and I appreciate that very highly. also want to greet uh, Dr. Lowe, Dr. Tomney, and others from the BISOM program who were in leadership when I was here, who helped to provide me some training, and today I'm able to provide some services back home in Africa. Praise the Lord. Um, you know, Proverbs 25, 25 says, like, good new, uh, like cold water to a weary soul is good news from a distant land. And so I see myself here this morning as one who has brought good news to the Asbury family. And I pray that you receive that good news in Jesus' name. Uh, let's pray. Father, we worship you in the beauty of your holiness. What a mighty God you are. Heaven ever adore you, Lord, angels bow before you. Father, you are the ancients of days, you are the Lord of laws. You are the Lord in Africa, the Lord here in America, you are the Lord everywhere. Oh, Father, we pray for this moment as we look into your word, oh God, that you will speak to each of us. Lord, I don't know my sisters and brothers sitting under the sound of my voice. I do not know their situations, but Lord, your word is true. And your word is able to apply insight to all of us so that whatever it is, oh Lord, when your word goes forth, it accomplishes its purpose. So bless this moment and bless us in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I would like to speak to you this morning on one of the Christian disciplines that we all seek to pursue for healthy Christian living that has to do with prayer. And I want to divide my presentation in three parts. Um, the first part I will speak, I will share briefly about my own life. And then secondly, we'll look into the scripture and see what God has to say to us. And then finally, I will conclude with uh, the power of prayer in the life of the church in Africa, where I am right now providing some services. I stand before you this morning as a testimony. God has been very gracious to me, and for me to be here this morning is an answer to prayer. I come from a, a very huge polygamous background. I am one of 47 children. That would be mind-boggling for you because you have just two children or maybe one and something like that. Uh, and sometimes some people choose to just love their dogs. <laughs> <laughs> But in Africa, the story is different. My father was a village chief. He married so many women, and my mother was one of five women along with other concubines. My mother went to live with this village chief when she was just about eight years old. And so when she turned 13 to 15, he converted her into one of his wives. And my mother gave birth to 11 of us, and nine survived to adulthood. So here we are in a village just living and facing an uncertain future. No clothing, no education, no nothing. And so we're there in the village, and we're just there. 
But by the grace of God, one day one of my half-brothers who have gone to the city to look for a job and probably find some education came back. And when he saw me about to go, he just said, hey, you, get up, let's go. And he took me and carried me and gave me to some family to, to serve in the hope that I would get some education. And I was there doing terrible jobs. Uh, it was like a slave. In the place I lived, there was no flush toilet. And so early morning around 6 o'clock, I would take the bucket to where I can clean it. And many times I want to run back home. But then when I look in the village, through my mind, I see my mother among many women who are just languaging. And I say, I will stay here and suffer, get some education. And by the grace of God, I made it uh, through high school. But during high school, I encountered Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And then I began to memorize scripture. I became very active on the Youth for Christ team and began to memorize books of the Bible. I memorized Hebrews, Joshua, and I, Second Corinthians, and Acts. For the four years, I was in high school. And many friends began to say, Jerry, go to seminary. But that's the last thing I wanted to do because in Africa, there is no economic security for one who becomes a pastor. But I was thinking about my mother, how I could rescue her from the village. And so I began to look for any means to go to school. And I went to the university and learn and study. And just about the time I was graduating, then I decided I wanted to marry to Ruth. And we began to make plans around 1988. And I started teaching already in a high school. Wedding set for April 14, 1990. And then I went on. I started working. And I was sent to Germany for a few months. I got some money. While coming, I purchased Ruth's uh, wedding bag and the shoes. And we were set. I went to the village, I got my mother, I thought my word has come. And just about the time we were planning, the civil war broke out. It was like a dream that has died. And things went so bad, I don't have the time to tell you, but I'm just letting you know that I'm here because of the power of prayer. On the 16th of August 1990, when everything was gone, no food, we were barely living on grass. I tried to escape to the port. Because I learned that there was some food around the port. And what I did, I wore six brief or jeans trousers and a track trousers, and I doubled my shirt. In the crowd walking, the government troop that was fighting the rebels just took me off the, the line and said I was a rebel. I said, I'm not a rebel, and people knew me. No one could speak for me. I stood there before that guy, and the, the general gave me to another guy to kill me. The guy had an AK-47 trust in my chest. And I'm standing there. He said, take off your clothes. As I took down the two trousers, he said, one, two. And I took down the six brief. He kept counting on for, for him. He counted eight trousers. But just six brief and two trousers. He was intoxicated, a gun in my chest. All that was left for him to do was to let go the trickle. And I'm standing there and just praying in my heart. A Christian young man who dreamed for marriage seemed to die. And then here you are about to be executed for no reason. I stood there praying and praying and praying. He said, take off your clothes. I took them off. And I began to say the Lord's prayer in my heart in the 23rd Psalm. As I did that, suddenly the breeze began to blow. And you look in the direction of the general that asked him to kill me. The general back was turned and you are doing harm to other people. And then when he turned there, suddenly a plastic bear just blew right into our direction. With a gun in his hand, this guy went to the ground, took the plastic bag, threw it in my chest, and said, run for your life. I was afraid to run, thinking that he wanted to shoot me in the back. He shouted again, I had to obey. 
As I ran up the hill, I did not hear a gun sound, but I was almost urinating on myself. The miracle of God, the power of prayer saved me. I don't have time to tell you all the story, but I escaped to Nigeria on the 27th of September. And on the 1st of October, I arrived there. I'm in a papa walk, sitting there, because all this time, I refused to go to seminary. I thought, I, God, I didn't want to be poor. I wanted to go and help my mother. And I thought that was what I wanted to do in life. But as I got to the port, I'm sitting there among 7,000 refugees. In the corner, I just heard like a voice over my head. Jerry, where is Ruth you wanted to get married to? Jerry, where is your mother? That like you're doing everything to protect. I realized I had no answer for any of them. I look up and saw no one. I simply said to God, God, you are right, I'm wrong. And it was like I was being born again for the second time. I turned my life and told, and told the Lord, do with me what you want. I, God took me from there to the refugee camp. I started sharing my faith with other people. God opened the door for me to go to seminary. Well, to cut the story short, I'm in seminary. I've told everybody I was planning to get married to one lady called Ruth, and I've escaped the war. I don't know whether she's alive. And we, people, we kept praying and all of that. But then I was in seminary. Now in my second going to my third year, one evening I'm in my room studying. Somebody from the registrar office knocked at the door. When the person came in, the person gave me a telegram. When I read it, I don't remember all it said, but I remember this. There's a lady called Ruth Chia in Lagos looking for one Jerry Kula. My body began to shiver. That Ruth was alive, she did not die, and now she's in Lagos. I was preparing for a homiletic test. My mind went blind. <laughs> I want to do the test the following morning, I failed the test. <laughs> I could not remember everything because nothing I could remember because my, my whole body was consumed. My whole mouth consumed by the fact that Ruth is alive. I ran to the provost and said, you remember the lady I told you about? I just got this telegram. He said, if I'm going to Lagos on the weekend, we can go. I met Ruth on March 29, and we started planning our wedding that very night when I met her. <laughs> and on the, uh, the 11th of July, we got married. Steady, came back to Liberia, God spared my mother's life. And so the dream that died by the power of prayer was restored. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Now, when you have had such an experience, I don't know about you. I refuse to take life for granted. I refuse to take any moment that God gives me for granted. Your story might be different from mine, but I want you to know as you sit here, do not take life for granted. You have the opportunity to invest your life for eternity. I pray that God will help you do so in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And so that's the first part of what I want to share with you, my life, how God has blessed my life as a power of prayer, and he brought me back, and since then I've been serving him, my family serving, now we, have, we are blessed with four children, or four boys and a girl, and I'm stopping there. I'm not going to be like my father. <laughs> I'm stopping there. And they are, they are doing fine, and we give God the glory. And so, uh, 
The, the second thing I want to talk about now is the whole issue about what we find here in the scripture, and I will conclude with, the, with what's happening in Africa. Amen? Acts chapter 12. Uh, it's a fascinating passage for me. Uh, you, you, you know the story already. Acts uh, chapter 12, the church is having her second phase of serious major persecution. And this persecution was instigated by King Herod because you're trying to have some alliances with the Jewish religious leaders. The first persecution uh, uh, happened uh, as a result of uh, the Jewish religious leader trying to destroy the church. And so they come and they stone Stephen to death. They succeeded in scattering the church from Jerusalem. But the scattering of the church led to rapid growth. Praise the Lord. Both among the Jews and the Gentiles. And my little study of church history tells me that no amount of persecution has ever succeeded at destroying the church of God. Whenever a persecution comes, it only serves to expand the growth of the church. And so what it tells me is that whenever God allows persecution in your life, it is not meant to destroy you but to develop you. It is not meant to break you but to make you. If you allow God, so here the church is scattered, and all the Jewish religious th leaders thought they have succeeded, but they were only fulfilling scripture, Acts 1.8. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Praise the Lord. So they never succeeded. Now... Just at the zenith of growth of the church, the church is growing in Antioch, the church is, church is growing in Jerusalem, King Herod comes to try to destroy the church in order to please the Jewish religious leaders who have failed to silence the church. And so he thought he was the one who would succeed at doing that. So he goes ahead and starts the persecution. And he begins to arrest key leaders of the church. And then he goes ahead and he put the first of the apostles to death, James, the brother of John. As I was reading that, before I begin to talk about what happens when the church prays, I want to digress a little bit and talk about what happens when the church fails to pray. That is what I seem to see in verses 1 to 4. I'm wondering what would have happened when, if the church had governed herself and started to pray when the arrest started. But the arrest was going on, and some of the key leaders are arrested, and James, the, uh, the brother of John, is executed. And because Herod saw that uh, the Jewish religious leader was excited, he went ahead now to arrest more key leaders. This time, he wants to arrest Peter. And it seemed that the church came to our senses and said, enough is enough. Praise the Lord. And then verse 5 says, but... The church pray for Peter. Praise the Lord. So, my friend, when the church fails to pray, we give Satan a foothold. When the church fails to pray, we forget that uh, prayer is our offensive and defensive weapon. When the church fails to pray, we forget that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through God to the pool in our every stronghold. Through the power of prayer, we pull down every imagination, every pretension, every argument. 
Every situation that is contrary to the will of God and compel them to be submissive to Jesus. Because the scriptures say, at the mention of the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, every tongue should confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of the Father. Praise the Lord. So uh, James was arrested and executed at the joy and delight of the Jewish religious leaders. It was not until Peter was arrested that the church came to her senses. And so the church began to pray. So the question that came to mind, what happens when the church prays? I want to just uh, draw some insights from that passage, and I invite you to verse 6. When the church prays, God gives us peace and comfort amid our challenges. Praise the Lord. Here is Peter, who is in jail. Uh, the chains are on him. The chains are also tied onto some other soldiers. But what do you see Peter doing? He is lying down and comfortably sleeping. The best kind of rest is sleep. <laughs> and Peter is there sleeping with a chains on him. So it tells us that Peter was not worried. Peter was not troubled because he knew that even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Praise the Lord. In Philippians chapter 4, verses 7 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God that transcends all understanding will guide your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. When the church prays, God shows up to deliver and restore our hope. And that is what he did for Peter. The church is praying, and God sends the angel. The angel comes, the light is ablaze. But the, the soldiers cannot see the light. Praise the Lord. When the church prays, God moves the obstruction that confront us. Herod and his soldiers were the obstruction. They wanted to silence the church. He thought by doing that, he would please the Jewish religious leaders. So he went ahead trying to create obstacles, trying to create problems for the church by destroying the key leaders. They were a hindrance, and they were trying to obstruct the church. But when the church prayed, God rose up to fight on their behalf because he is our defender. My friend, when the church prays, God causes the chain that binds us to fall off. Praise the Lord. That is what we see. Peter is in jail. These guys are standing there. Sixteen soldiers in four groups are organized. And some are with Peter while he's sleeping the chain on them. But the Bible said when the angel came, the chains fell off because the church was praying. When the church prays, the chains that bind us fall off. Now this morning, I don't know what chain is binding you. I don't know what your situation is. But I believe whatever the chains are that may be binding you that we don't know. You might be smiling and say, oh, praise the Lord. But the chains are there. Whatever the chains are, the power of prayer can break the chain. Because when we pray, we pray in Jesus' name. And Jesus is the bondage breaker. Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. The one who breaks every yoke and gives us the victory. Somebody chain this morning might be unhealthy relationship. Unhealthy marriage, 
But God is able to break that chain. Some other chain might be uh, chains of unforgiving spirit, grudge, and revenge. But my friend, God is able to take away that bitterness and give you his peace. Someone's chain might be fear of uncertainty or fear of the uncertain future. My friend, if you are such a person this morning, the Bible says, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Jeremiah, Isaiah for the one ten say, fear not, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you by my righteous right hand. When the church prays, God blinds the eyes of our enemies and enables us to move on freely so that they don't harm us. When the church prays, God opens the iron gates that serve as obstacles before us. Praise the Lord. When the church prays, God pronounces judgment on our enemies. So even though Peter was to be executed, but the 16 soldiers or even more were executed in his place. My friend, that is the power of prayer. And that's the power of prayer that we are witnessing in Africa amidst the challenges that confronts us. In Africa, there is a high degree of illiteracy. There is disease. There is poverty. All kinds of challenges. But in the midst of those challenges, the church is growing because of the power of prayer and the spirit of evangelization. And so we thank you for praying for Africa. We thank you for praying for us. But this is the power of prayer that we are experiencing. Now, as I conclude my message, I don't know how many of you are following the struggle that's going on in the United Methodist Church. Okay? But just a few few months ago, we were in St. Louis to, 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 to have a general conference. But prior to that, millions of dollars that were being sent to Africa for us to grow the church was lavished on campaign. And people politicized in the church because folks wanted us to abandon the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But we in Africa refused to do this. So while all the campaign was going on, we were simply fasting and praying. And let me just tell you this. When we moved to St. Louis, several of our pastors and churches went indoors, locked the door behind them, and they were on the floor praying and fasting. And what were they fasting about? That we remain faithful to the scripture that were handed down to us by the missionaries, handed to our forefathers and foremothers by the missionaries. And then now, our parents are handed it to us. Praying that we remain faithful to the scripture and we're content for the faith. And my friend, and when we got there, there were a whole lot of political maneuvering going on. And all the church in Africa was doing was praying and leaving the result of God. So on that faithful day, on the 26th of February, when we gather there to cast the battle, in spite of all the politics, when we cast the battle, the result came that we want to remain faithful to the scripture. Regarding our sexual ethics, regarding marriage, regarding ordination of self-avowed homosexuals, we want to remain faithful to the scripture. Because all scripture is given by inspiration of God. And it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. So that the man or woman of God 
might be thoroughly equipped by the word. May God bless you in Jesus' name. Amen.